good morning again. As uh, Pastor Jonathan's mentioned already, we're very glad you're with us today. And welcome again to First Christian Church. We're very glad those of you who are worshiping with us in Lovington, as well as those of you online. It's good to have you here. Would you take your Bible, please, and turn to Isaiah chapter 32. It's pretty much in the center of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab the one in the pew rack in front of you, maybe your smartphone. If you're online, uh, you can grab, uh, there's a tab right there as you're watching online. And uh, for those who don't know me, for our guests, let me introduce myself. Excuse me, my name is Wayne, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I get to spend some time with you in Scripture today. As we do that, as we start, um, um, you know, it, like you, there, I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure out new things and, and get some new understandings, and people go, well, preachers, don't you know a lot of stuff about the Bible and about spirituality? Yeah, we do, we, I guess, you say we do, but we're always getting some learning new things, and I want to tell you about something that I've learned about in just the last few weeks. Um, it, it starts with a little island off the coast of Scotland called the Isle of Iona. It's a dot on the map, just a tiny place. It's a mile off the coast of northwest Scotland. It's small, a mile wide, four miles long. It has a soaring population of sheep and a few people, 125 people who are outnumbered vastly by the sheep who were there. And so you'd say, well, what draws your attention there? Well, believe it or not, that tiny little island has had a dramatic impact upon um, Christianity going back centuries. And the truth be told, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today in the Western world, in the, particularly in the English-speaking world, you probably could trace, you can probably trace part of your roots back to that island there, that tiny little island off the coast of Scotland. Here's why. Back in the 6th century, in Ireland, there was a battle in which some people, would, people died. Here's the story. Two clerics, two monks living in an abbey, got to arguing over who owned a particular book. Now, remember, this is, in, this is centuries ago. This is 6th century, probably around 560. We know the battle took place in 561. We don't know how long the lineup was, the lead-up to the battle was. But before the battle in 561, these two clerics get in an argument involving who owns this book. And this is hundreds of years before the printing press is, is invented. So books are valuable today, but they were even more valuable back in those days because they were all hand-copied. These two guys get in an argument over who owns the book that one of them had copied. And pretty soon there are sides and there are other people coming to their defenses and their offenses, and they declare they're going to have a battle over it. And in 561, there's two armies come together, and a bunch of people are killed. And a fellow by the name of Columba decides, you know, I was the one who instigated this. I probably shouldn't be around here. The other guy's name is a fellow by the name of Finian. And so Finian and Columba come to this understanding, man, one of us has to leave, because if we hang out together, people are going to die. They did die. So Columba gets in a small boat. This boat is called a Karach. And it's a little boat made from not not from timber, but literally from tree branches. And they wrap them together, tie them together, and they put cow hides or ox hides on the outside. And this is a common boat in ancient Ireland. And Columba and 12 of his fellow soldiers in some sort of penance, in some sort of exile, they're going to have to leave. They get in a boat and they say, we're going to go east until we hit some land and we're going to live there. 
And they end up in this tiny little island called Iona. And they settle there, and after a while, they kind of get their act together with God. They build an abbey. This is now late 6th century, 580, somewhere around in there. They build this abbey that is still standing today. And from that abbey, they begin to think about how they should tell others about the story of Jesus Christ. And so monks from that abbey, for centuries thereafter, and other places from around the British Isles, would go out and they would practice a type of spirituality called peregrination. Peregrination is an ancient practice of walking for God. And they would leave Iona and they would walk until they would come to a place or a person who needed God's attention. And frankly, that's how Christianity spread for centuries. And it had a particular impact upon, well, the English-speaking world. I know their English is different than ours, but if you're a follower of Jesus today, you could, as I said, trace your roots back to that small island off the coast of, 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 um, of Scotland. And if we would say this today then, that in, as we walk with God, the 21st century view of how we walk with God is our peregrination of what they used to do, that we are supposed to walk with God and when we come to a place or a person who is in need of God's care, we step into the situation. Now, that whole story was new to me. And when I, in some sort of like, you guys, I was saying to staff members recently, you know what I've learned about recently? And I've talked about this practice of peregrination. They go, well, didn't you learn that in seminary? <laughs> no, I didn't go to your seminary, obviously. But not. So nonetheless, it's caught my attention because I'm thinking about how you and I are going to manage the coming year. At the one end of one year, we always await what God is bringing to us in the coming year. And throughout the last few weeks, if you've worshipped with us, we've experienced Advent. We've talked about the joy. We've talked about the, um, the adoration and the worship. We've talked about God being here in Emmanuel over the Christmas services. But now, here after Christmas, what are we doing? We are awaiting Jesus' second coming. We are also awaiting the events of the months ahead. The events of the months ahead. So, to that end, this idea of walking through the coming year seems an appropriate metaphor for what's ahead of us, because we don't get to run through the year. It's not like you can do January one, two, three, and then skip, if you will, and get to March second. No, you got to do January three, four, five, six. You got to walk one foot in front of each other, one day after another. You got to go through the year that's ahead of us, and for Christians. This 21st century practice of peregrination means walking for and with God day after day. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to examine some passages of Scripture that will give us some insight into see where our walk will take us in 2020. And as we do so, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is very, very old. As a matter of fact, it's 26, 2700 years old, Isaiah chapter 32. And as Isaiah is writing, we, I'm a little uncertain as to exactly the circumstances of particular Isaiah 32. But I, we know what the period of time that Isaiah was writing. He's writing to the people of Judah, and the people of Judah are in a mess. Either immediately before chapter 32 or immediately after chapter 32, the Babylonians invade. And the people of Judah are going to, they're either about to become slaves or they have become slaves. If it's before, if, if chapter 32 is written before they become slaves, they know it's coming. 
If it's after, then they are living in slavery. So in other words, their life is a mess. And in the middle of this national mess, Isaiah's word from God is this. In light of the present setting of misery, be mindful that better days are coming. Now, I'm not in any way suggesting to you today that our national ethos, that our global struggles, and particularly what we face here in central Illinois, I'm not suggesting that we are akin in any way to living under slavery or anything like that. And we're not losing lives here in America in the way in which they did in, as, in those days. But nonetheless, who are we kidding? There are plenty of places around that are messy. Is that a reasonable thing to say? And so in the midst of the messes that are there, how would Isaiah apply to us today, beginning at verse 1? We read this. A king will reign in righteousness. Rulers will rule with justice. There's a day coming, in other words, when there's going to be new leadership, and the rulers are going to rule with justice. And each ruler will be like a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the storm. He or she, in those days it would be he, will be like a refuge from the storm, like streams of, desert in the, streams of water in the desert and a shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. And when this ruler comes along, when these new days appear, the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed. The ears of those who hear will listen. The fearful heart will no one understand, and the stammering tongue will be fluent and clear. No longer will the fool be called noble, nor the scoundrel be highly respected. Because if you think about, isn't that our day? When fools and scoundrels are often respected above people who are, who are noble? I mean, that describes us. He says... You know, when it comes to the fools, they speak folly. Their hearts are bent on evil. They practice ungodliness and spread error concerning the Lord. The hungry they leave empty, and from the thirsty they withhold water. Scoundrels use wicked methods. They make up evil schemes to destroy the poor with lies, even when the plea of the needy is just. But compared to that, in the new days that are coming, the noble make noble plans, and by noble deeds they stand. What's he saying? He's saying, it's ugly right now, but there's a new day coming. He says in verse 1, new leadership is about to show up. And the, the people who are involved in that leadership, they're going to understand this mess that we're experiencing. Can you see that in verse 4? And he says in verse 5, that righteousness will win the day, and fools will no longer be considered noble, and scoundrels will no longer be admired. And I've got to say, friends, when I... Look, at around, look around and listen and pay attention. It does seem to me at times like fools get admired around in our present world. And scoundrels win the day far too often. So if that's the case, how does this apply to our time? How does this apply to us moving into 2020? What biblical promises can inform our walk in the days ahead? How can you plan for the walk of 2020? Well, may I suggest, first of all, simply based on this scripture, expect a new season. Expecting a new season is the expectation of Christians. This is Isaiah's instruction. And we live and, and breathe hope. If we're followers of Christ, if you follow Jesus today, you, you live and breathe hope. You've made a decision that, there's, that where we are right now is not all there is. And beloved, hear this clearly. If the people of Judah living under conditions akin to slavery or actually in slavery, if they in Isaiah 32 are expecting better days through God's handiwork, then surely Christians can also. Because after all, 
we get to look in the rearview mirror of history in the five, or six, five to 600 years after this was written, we say, okay, so five to 600 years after this was written, Jesus showed up. And we get to see in our rearview mirror of history, we get to see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They didn't have it there yet. They're still waiting. Our, our record of what we know happened in history says there's a history-wide and a personal story-wide track record of God's engagement. We can look at that and say, look at what God did in the past. Look at how this worked out in history. And then we can say, look at how God worked out in my individual life. And then we say, based on that track record of God's faithfulness, then I can expect new days in, in the days ahead. Look again at verse 2. It says that there's going to be a ruler who are going to be, who's going to be like streams of water in the desert, a shard of a great rock in a thirsty land. If the people of Judah could expect that, then surely those who call themselves Christians can expect better days, all based on God's track record. And let me say this, friend. If 2019 was ugly and messy and awful and like you never want to repeat it again, I get it. I get that. But I've got great news for you. 2020, there are going to be days when the right people in the right situations, and this is a word from the Lord for some of you today, when the right situations and the right people are going to show up and it's going to be like water in the desert. It's going to be like a shadow of a great rock you can hide behind in the midst of a blazing sunlight. Here's why. We join, as followers of Christ, we join with the early Christians who said this, in God we live and move and have our being. It's all based on the fact that we are walking with God. In other words, our faith goes beyond the present moment. The people of Judah would say, our faith goes beyond the present ugliness. Why? Because the God we serve goes beyond the present moment. The God we serve is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We live in expectation of better days. We also, as we walk through 2020, we're also going to look and watch for the thin places where God shows up. And this is where this new language that I was so proudly telling the staff about, they go, well, Brian even says, well, I've got a book about that. I've read it and even wrote a paper on it. Here's a, they go, great, great, great. So this new language for me, but can I tell you, since I've learned it, I maybe should share it with you as well. Uh, thin places. It's old Irish spirituality. Remember Columba and his 12 men who ended up on that island of Iona back in the, in the, in the 500s? It's common. This language called thin places is common throughout Christian Celtic spirituality even today. Here's what it is. It refers to the places and the settings where the lines between this world and eternity, where the line between what I'm experiencing today and God's reality for some reason, that line feels really, really thin. Those places are often near us, and sometimes we fail to recognize them. We fail to watch, we fail to listen. But Isaiah says this, that in the new day that's coming, the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed, and the ears of those who hear will listen. The fearful heart will know and understand, and the stammering tongue will be made fluent and clear. In other words, there's a day coming this year, in the coming year, there's a day coming when the clarity between you and God will be just, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be that thin moment where you're going to experience God's presence in new ways. 
I've had that occur to me at times along the way, and you have too. Uh, for example, uh, each time I've stood at the Western Wall in the old city of Jerusalem, it's one of those very thin moments. Can I tell you what it was like the first time I went there in 2014? Les and I went to Israel. And we had a month to, to go. And so we took a month and we went to Israel. We, we got a, an apartment uh, just right outside the old city, within walking distance. 25 minutes we could be at the Western Wall. I remember the first time we were there. You've seen it, right, probably what it looks like. Um, uh, it's, it's, there's a plaza. And uh, you walk up towards the plaza, and the men, the, 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 the ladies go on the south side, the men go on the north side. Since 2014, there's a spot where you can do it together. But you walk up, you wash your hands. There are these fountains there that you wash your hands in. And the men have to wear a kippah, uh, a Jewish hat. And you walk up to the wall. And I'll tell you, that first experience replicated time after time since I've been there again was so overwhelming. You see the pieces of paper where people push prayers in the little holes and in the, in the breaks in the cement. And every night, uh, the officials come and they collect all those papers and they keep them. They keep them. And um, I remember with a little bit of biblical knowledge standing there thinking, this wall is more than 3,000 years old. And in days gone by, throughout all of the Bible's history, going all the way back to, the, to Abraham, Genesis 12, God would show up about 70 feet up and 100 feet over there. And when I say God would show up, it would be the presence of God and a cloud would come down. And it would be so overwhelming that some people would die, not from retribution or fear, but literally it would be so overwhelming their hearts would stop. This business of meeting God, and I'm standing there, my hand on that wall, and just going, how is it that I get to be here in this place where for thousands of years people have prayed, and for thousands of years you've showed up, God. You know what you do when you leave the wall? You back away. The custom is you don't turn your back on God. Or can I be candid? You don't turn your rear end on God. Straight up. You back away, maybe 40, 50 feet, then you turn around. Every time I've been there, that's been my response absolutely this sense of, man, it's a thin place. In fact, I was so overwhelmed with that experience, you may recall, those who were around in those days, that I came back and preached a whole series called The Presence of God, and um, we used one of the photos I took then at that time as the logo for that series called The Presence of God. And the last time I was in Jerusalem, we'd always said, you know, we're not going to lead a tour to, Jerusalem, to Israel or something like that, but that moment on, at that wall was so powerful, I said, I, listen, I said, we've got to have people of our church experience that, and so we took, took, led a tour a couple years ago, and um, we had, we'd been on a fast track through the, through the area of Galilee, and then came down to Jerusalem, we're going to be there for five or six days, and we arrived late in the evening, it was already dark, we had a late dinner in the hotel, and we're about two miles, perhaps, from the, from the wall, I'm from the old city, and though we were tired and it was long, I said, would anyone like me to walk with you down to the wall, even late at night? A whole bunch of hands went up and off we went, and we, we walked that one or two miles, and we got to the wall, and I remember that first experience again. All those people come to the wall, and just this, wow, this thin place. You know, friends, God has some thin places planned for you in 2020. Absolutely if you'll have the ears to hear and the eyes to see and the heart that's willing to understand. By the way, as an aside, we're going back to Israel in October. If you'd like to come, please contact the front office. 
because I'm, I'm convinced of this, that not only in, in that, at that wall setting, but there are other places where God wants to work in your life. Like for me this year, for Leslie and I, we have a, a new granddaughter arriving in the middle of January. And I, I know what it's going to be like. If, you, if you're a granddad or a grandma, you know what it's like that first time you hold you? It's different than when you have your own kid. I mean, when you have your own kid, that's one thing, and it's, it's, it's overwhelming, but it's significantly different. It's a new space in your heart with a grandchild. You know, we, we had three grandbabies arrive all at the same time in 2016, like all at the same time, twins and a little, twin boys and a little girl, okay? And so we would have them at the house, and they're like three months old or a month old, whatever, and they're newborns. And sometimes I couldn't tell them apart, but they're all there. And one of them's crying, and we're trying to eat dinner. And so I, I would literally take, take them one at a time, and, and I'd be so overwhelmed with this, this prayer of God bless this baby. You know what I had to do? I'd have to go stand in the corner in the living room when no one would see me, and the tears would come down. And I'd just pray, I don't know who you are. <laughs> but you're mine, and I'm praying for you. That's going to come again in just a few weeks. That's going to be a thin place. On Friday night, we had a thin place. We, we had a memorial service for my mother-in-law in this room. And in a few weeks, Les and I are going to take her cremains and my father-in-law's cremains, and we're going to go to North Carolina and bury them right near their family. That's going to be a thin place. And I'm aware of this much. There are other thin places coming in 2020 that I don't know about yet. I pray that I'll have eyes to see and ears to hear God's presence in those moments. And I also pray I don't um, take on the 21st century approach of just rushing past them. And here's another aspect of our walk with God in 2020. Slow down. Notice that I said that our, our, this peregrination that we're involved in in 2020 is a walk. It's not a race. And calling it a peregrination causes us to walk. Now, there's some irony in this because the next sermon series that we're stepping into has this logo that we've created that's a logo of a racer in starting blocks ready, getting ready to race. And I think it's somewhat comical and, you know, the, the contradiction. Because there are tasks that require sprinting at times. There are projects or, you know, periods where you've got to be characterized that as a long marathon. And sometimes we must work quickly, absolutely, as a church and as individuals. But always rushing and never stopping to recognize and enjoy the thin places. You know, that sounds like the fools decried in Isaiah 32 that says, fools will no longer be called noble, nor the scoundrel highly respected. Fools speak folly, their hearts are bent on evil, they practice ungodliness and spread error concerning our Lord. I've struggled to know how to say this exactly. Don't read between the lines. Don't put more than I need to say here, what I'm about to say. But sometimes there are fools that lead our culture. I'm not just talking about politics. I'm talking about that lead our culture. And I, I can't keep up with them at times. They're rushing about so fast, and the, the stuff that's coming our way is so fast. And they want us to emulate them. And the results are sometimes that we have fools making decisions, I would say in both politics and in the arts, and I'm not saying either side, just across the board. Sometimes decisions are made that impact hundreds if not thousands and sometimes millions. 
and haste in the, wrong's hand, in the wrong hands is a fool's folly. It's got to be different for the followers of Jesus Christ, friends. We've, we've got to live our lives differently. We've got to see the long view. We've got to see, man, Genesis chapter 12 was a long time ago when God said he's going to bring about a Messiah and there's going to be somebody who comes along. And then you got the people of Judah 2,600 years ago. I mean, the followers of Jesus Christ were people who are willing to wait. We wait God's plans. We await God's best moments. We're willing to say, hey, as we move through 2020, we're going to wait on what God has to say. And so to that end, here's part of what that waiting involves. I'm convinced that 2020 for our congregation and for, for each of us here, that we can expect a Holy Spirit moment, and that Holy Spirit moment is going to include a harvest. Here's why. Here's why. The followers of Jesus Christ are people who live generously. And when I say li live generously, I say we live generously in sowing and planting. And I'm not just talking about our pocketbooks. Yes, we do that. But beyond that, it's not just about money. It's about how the followers of Jesus Christ live what we would call a life generosity. Because we lean into God's faithfulness, because we recognize the thin places where God showed up in the past, because we slow down to take in the moment, we are different, as Isaiah states, Christ's followers are not like the scoundrels who destroy the poor with lies, even when the plea of the needy is just. But instead, the noble, and can I call you if a follower of Jesus Christ today, you're a noble person, and the noble make noble plans, and by noble deeds they stand. In other words, the walkers of 2020, the noble people, the followers of God, those who are in a peregrination with God, people like you and me, as we move along, we discover the thin places, finding God, and we act in generosity of soul and life and spirit. We do what the Bible says. We cast our bread upon the water. <laughs> I've heard that saying for years. Cast your, it's a biblical saying. Cast your bread upon the water. I have no idea what it meant. Seriously. And so, again, one of these new things that I've learned in just the last few weeks in preparation for today's sermon, I had to think about that. What does it mean to cast your bread upon the water? Because I know you're supposed to do that. Well, another way of putting it, I've done some research, is this. We cast our seed upon the water. We plant seed on water. Well, why, why would you plant seed on water? Well, don't you put seed in the ground? You know, here we are, a church that plants, and, and we, we act as people of generosity. Why would I put it on water? Well... It's a reference to the ancient practice of throwing seeds on the waters of the Nile River as it moved away from flood stage. Here's how it went. The farmers around the Nile would be watching the, watching the Nile as it floods every year, and as it began to recede with about this much water left on the ground, instead of going out and waiting for the water to recede and then have to slop through the mud, they would literally throw the, throw the seed on the water two days before the water disappears. And then they'd let the water carry the seed to all the places in their fields. And as the water went down, the seeds went into that, that moist soil, and they'd get a harvest. Very cool. But what was interesting about it is that the water would sometimes carry their seed into places that they would not normally go to sow seed. And so the, as, when the harvest came, they'd have harvests in places that were totally unexpected. How cool is that? Because that's what I expect for 2020 for you and me that a Holy Spirit gift of harvest from seed that you've planted in days gone by, that we've planted in days gone by, it's going to show up in places that you least expect it. How cool is that going to be? We've seen it demonstrated in recent days um, in some very cool ways. I, let me see if I can tell you how, how this has came about. 
We've had a presence as a congregation in, in work in Kenya, in the Maasai tribe, uh, which is the nation of uh, the tribe, uh, nation, if you will, of um, Kenyans who live in the southern portion of Kenya, up against the Tanzanian border. There's Maasai even in Tanzania. And we've had a presence there since 1985 when Gary and Judy Woods went over there and we were caring for the woods and you've met them many times. And then a few years later, the Kaziers from our congregation went there. The woods have recently retired. The Kaziers are still there. So that started in 1985. Literally went into the bush, out into the bush where there were no, no Christians. Met a family with little kids. They came to Christ. And the woods started teaching those little kids how to read and write. Kazir's come along, and by then we're now into the early 2000s, and uh, through our church, we built a block house, just a, a, a block house, and we were doing work and ministry there, and, and we were sending the Kazirs in the woods. 2010, after a lot of prayer, we thought, is there a way in which we as a congregation could have a more active role, rather than just hearing about this and sending money, could we send people? So... Uh, a few of us, I don't remember how many it was, eight or seven or eight of us, went to Kenya in 2010 to, on a discovery trip to see could we send building teams, could we send medical teams over there. Out in the bush. It's way out there, folks. And um, we went, and we're staying in the blockhouse, bunks that are three high. And uh, bunks is a generous word. So places to lay flat, three high is a good way to put it. All right, so we're there, and... Um, one day, uh, as we're visiting the villages around, uh, we learn that there's a man, oh, maybe half a mile across the field there, uh, uh, who's a follower of Jesus, and he would like us to come pray with him. He wasn't feeling well. Elderly fellow, and so, yeah, we'll go over there and we'll pray. And a jeep shows up to get, take us over there, but there's not enough room in the jeep for us all to go. So I said, well, I'll walk. I can see it. It's right there. And this young Maasai warrior, a fellow by the name of Daniel, shows up. He says, he's 23 years old. He says, I'm not letting you walk over there by yourself. Well, there's hyenas, there's lions. I'm fine. No, we're walking together. So we walk across the field to this guy, guy's house to pray with him. And as we're walking, so you're a Maasai warrior. Yeah, and you know, you stab animals and you, you, know, you carry your shield and your sword and your, your spear and all, and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, I grew up one of the first kids that the woods taught to, to read and write with a blackboard literally nailed up against a tree. And uh, so what do you do now? Well, I'm, I, I teach chemistry in high school. What? This is a kid from a dirt floor hut, walls, when I say a hut, I'm talking, talk, we're talking huts, walls made from cow, you know what, dried out and packed, and grass roof, okay? This, this is way out there, and now you teach chemistry to the high school out here? There's a high school out here? Well, it's done. So, so we walk over there, we pray with the guy, and we're walking back, and I'm going, man, this is so cool that we've you know, provide the funds for this guy to go to school and to now be a chemistry teacher. So that's really cool. Yeah, it's not what I really want to do. What do you want to do? I want to go to medical school and become a doctor. We have no doctors from the Maasai nation at all. I want to be the first Maasai doctor. And my immediate thought was, God, why did you make me hear that? <laughs> no, no, this is, uh, this is just information for my ears only. And I, I, I'm walking across that field saying, don't make any commitments, Wayne. Don't say something you're going to regret. Don't say something the congregation is going to regret. <laughs> and we got all the way back to the, to the center, and I, I just, thanks for that. And I came home, and I didn't have the language for it then, but I do now. That was one of those thin places. 
that walk across the field? Because God, that was a God moment. Because um, we came home, and after a few months, I approached you as a congregation, said, there's this young kid there. He's smart enough. The authorities and the people around him say he's smart enough to go to med school. We should send him to med school. It's going to cost us $60,000. Can we raise $60,000 together? And we did. We raised a little over $60,000. We sent him off to med school. He graduated in December, just at the end, beginning of this month. Would you believe when the last bill came in just a few weeks ago? I think it was around $1,800. Do you know how much money we had? We had the exact money. There's no money left, and there's no bills coming in. Seriously. Who would have known seven or eight years ago that we would raise the exact amount of money that would be needed in December of 2019? So we sent a bunch of people over to Kenya to participate in his graduation and his, his parties. Uh, this is the first Maasai to ever go to med school. John Guyman was there, and uh, John, uh, come tell us what it was like. First of all, may I say, I'm not bitter about the fact that I didn't get to go. <laughs> Not bitter that I had to stay here and do Christmas with all these folk and you guys went off the bed. It had to be the party of a lifetime. Oh, it, was, it was a great time. Right, so, because they've never, the, the whole, you know, people came because they were celebrating. So, first of all, you, you got to talk to him, right, amidst all the... Oh, yeah, yeah, we had two celebrations, actually. One was, the, one was a more private celebration that he organized for family and close friends and us. Right. And so we were honored to be a part of that, probably 30 people. Uh, and so that was the, the, the Friday before the big celebration. So we had a lot of time with he and his family, and it was a really sweet time. And then the next day, what happened? The next day was the celebration for the at his at his boma is what it's called his his house, and it was out in the bush. And there were probably four, five, six hundred people there. In spite of the weather, it rained, and the roads when it rains are really difficult. And so we uh, we, we arrived. Uh, and, uh, and there were, there were four or 500 people there, and it was, it was just a great day. Big party. Big party, a lot of political people, a lot of uh, uh, pastors, a lot of elders from the various villages, uh, and uh, chiefs of, of the various villages. It was, it was really cool. What are the plans moving forward? Now, we have a clinic there in Kumpa, which is a tiny, do we call it a village? Kind of, yeah. Small place. Small place. Yeah, like it's got three buildings almost, right? And well, there's a school there. A school, and, and, and there's, there's a waterhole as well. There's, right, a, there's right. a well that we dug a number of years right. ago, right? So that, what's the plan on that with that clinic? Well, the clinic continues to, to progress. There's a clinician there that uh, dispenses medicine and does basic care for, for the people. And a lot of they have a lot of well baby care. They're doing more and more with that. Uh, and he communicates with Daniel. Daniel's one of the uh, uh, overseers of that clinic. And so we continue to work with them and, and see that, you know, the Maasai didn't, they don't view medicine uh, or, or healthcare in the same way we do because it, for many, many years they didn't have it. And plus, and, if you go to the, I remember this, you don't go to the hospital unless you're about to die. And so people don't go to the hospital because you're going to go there and die. Right. right. And, then, and, they, and now they're starting to understand that if they, if they go sooner, then they don't just go to die. So, right. so we're seeing more and more uh, uh, momentum for the clinic, and we want to continue to support that under Daniel's What's leadership. What's the role of the churches there, the people who, I mean, because when we went there, folks, in 85, there were no Christians, and now there's hundreds of Christians. Well, the, the churches tend to, uh, to, you know, they support the clinics, and then there are several pastors that are actually on this committee that oversees the clinic. So 
uh, they're helping to drive the culture to uh, to use the clinic and to seek care and to uh, to begin to uh, to utilize the resources there. What's Daniel do moving forward? Well, well, Daniel's in. He's got a year, what he calls internship. Uh, they would call it residency for medical professionals here, and it's outside of Nairobi, about three hours south of Nairobi. So he's he's completing that. He is paid now. He said that. Uh, He's, after seven years, he can finally support his family. He's finally employed. Uh, but uh, his family still lives in Nairobi, where he was going to school. So they're separated, and he'll see them about once or twice a month uh, for the first year. So it's and so our team, our medical team is moving forward. How do, what's the, what's it, does this change that? Well, I think the, the medical teams have changed from when we started to now anyway, because when we first went, we did everything. It was all, it was all supported by our providers, and, and so over the years, as Daniel learned and became uh, more qualified, he started taking more of a leadership role. So, so I think the teams continue, but we now partner with Daniel, and he, in, in fact, the last clinic, he managed it, he organized it, he brought resources, he got medications, and we basically just came alongside him and, and worked with him, and I think that'll continue because it's... Uh, it, it continues to, to grow uh, the medical profession out, out in the bush. Can you guys thank John for going on our behalf? <laughs> By the way, friends, um, you may see this and you may have seen this. This is part of what we're doing with part of the funds that we raise with our giving here at the end of the year. We're going to continue to support that. And if you'd be interested in that, by all means, step into that. I am. Um, you know, this, the end of this project, if you will, or this finish line or this tape, however you want to say, has been a long time coming since, we first, since I first walked across that field in 2010. But here's what I'm aware of. What God starts, God finishes. And God finishes it with a harvest. And God has started something in you, undoubtedly. And I believe this coming year will bring the harvest for you. I'm quite convinced of this, that God has started something in the life of our church. We've done a lot of investing for many, many years. Um, we've invested people resources and, frankly, lots of dollars in our community and with our global partners. And I'm expecting a harvest in the coming, in the, in the coming year because here's what, here's what Christians do. We expect, we plan, we wait, and we believe. And this peregrination business of walking with God, for God, to the places where God's grace is needed, that's what we're going to do this coming year, absolutely. And um, you're going to find those spots where grace is needed in the coming year. And part of it, though, if I, might, if, I, if I can say this, part of it is going to be based on your willingness to let God be in charge of your life. Absolutely. You have to listen, you have to look, and you have to say, God, I want, I want you to be in charge of where I go and what I do and what I say and how I live in this coming year. And so to that end, it's really... Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Is he the, the leader of your life? I pray so. In which case, I'm going to go to the piano. We're going to do something that's really unplanned, and that is, um, can, can you, there's, so there's no lyrics on the screen, okay? So can, can you say this statement with me? Jesus be the Lord of all. Okay, now we'll try it one more time. Jesus be the Lord of all. The kingdoms of my heart. That's the entire lyrics. You can remember that. And I would suggest uh, that we make this our prayer, that Jesus, as I, wa as we, as I walk through 2020, Lord, uh, I want you to be in charge of who I am 
and in charge of how I manage my life. And so uh, if you know it, uh, since I'm not the greatest vocalist, I'm going to need your help, okay? And if you'd sing along and teach to the people around you, it goes like this. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. The kingdoms of my heart. Can you sing it with me? Jesus be Now that you know it, how about it become a prayer for you? And that this be, uh, you know, God, in the coming year, this is what I want. I want you to be in charge. And uh, I'll go all the places and keep my eyes and ears open to what's in front of me. Would you sing with me one more time? Jesus be the Lord. Jesus be the Lord. Jesus be the Lord of all, the kingdoms of my well, Let's stand together, all right? And um, we'll change up the words. Jesus, I surrender all. And uh, as, you, as you sing it, may I suggest you take a, a posture of prayer? For some of you, that might mean kneeling. Maybe that's a good way to end the last Sunday worship service on, of this year, and that is to uh, be a person who kneels, or if nothing else, say, Lord, I'm out stretching my hands to you, down here, up here, you know, and say, Lord, I surrender all. So it goes like this, Jesus, I surrender, Jesus, I surrender all, Jesus, I surrender all the kingdoms of my heart. Jesus be the Lord. Jesus be the Lord of Jesus be the Lord of all. Jesus be the Lord of all. The kingdoms of my heart. Lord, um, I pray for my friends here today. I pray first of all, Lord, that each and every person would know the reality of walking with you. I ask God that you would graciously then lead us to places in the coming year where um, we'll, we'll be able to see you and experience you and be used by you. God, that your grace would flow from us because of the grace we've experienced. May it flow into the lives of other people. We're going to walk with you. We're going to expect you to be engaged in our lives. Lord, we're going to look for harvests, maybe in places that are totally unexpected that we've been casting our seed and our bread upon the water for years, and Lord, you've been carrying that seed out in places that, man, Lord, 
We're asking that it would sprout up and that you would get the glory. And Lord, we'd be open to walking across fields with young warriors or people we don't know and see what you want to do. We're willing to put in the time and the investment and the, the energy, God, because you're in charge of our lives. We rely on you. We have a track record with you that's stellar. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is in the rearview mirror. You, you've conquered death. You've conquered sin. You've conquered the mess. We rely on you totally. In the name of Jesus, amen.